0: oh, man, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. This thing that you're listening to right this second um, is an introduction that I've recorded three days after I released this podcast out into the world. Um, the reason I'm doing this now is because I, I didn't feel particularly good about this podcast when I released it, and I feel especially worse After I released it and gotten the feedback that I've gotten from the podcast, from the people involved in the self-pleasure circle. Um, At first, I thought that I felt bad about the podcast because I'm such a people pleaser that I just need to be liked by everyone. And I felt embarrassed or I felt ashamed of myself for talking shit or being critical and being harsh against the people involved in the process. And, that, and I was kind of berating myself like, God, you're, you're such a people pleaser. You can't even deal with the fact that someone might be offended by what you said. But um, the truth is probably if I actually sit down and think about it, um, I was embarrassed that I was so critical. But at the same time, I mean, it's possible that I'm even doing this right now. This fucking apology right now could be because I'm that scared that someone's going to listen to the podcast and be like, whoa, Lorna was a real cunt then, and I'm just putting this in here first so you can be like, oh, no, but she said she was sorry, so she's not. <laughs> I can't deal with people not liking me. That's possible. That's definitely possible. But I think the most important thing that I'm trying to say here is that when I recorded this podcast, I did not take into consideration at all the fact that – um All of the characters that I created in making this story are real human beings with real intentions and real purposes for what they do, why they do what they do. And I did not give any of them a chance to defend themselves. Rather, I just created this fucking imaginary caricature of each one of these people that came across very cynical, very judgmental, and totally unfair. Um... Who knows why any of the women involved in this process do any of the things that they do? And I've magnified it in my head because I wanted to be funny and tell a good story, and it's not true. And the whole point of my podcast is to increase connection and tell people to push beyond their limits and try new shit and express themselves authentically. And um, when I watch some other people doing that their own way, because it made me uncomfortable. I just became a condescending asshole. Um, (laughs) And Victoria pointed this out to me the next day when I talked to her about it, that like, now that would have been an interesting podcast if I actually just addressed how judgmental I became and what that says about me. And instead of doing that, I just assumed that everyone else is an idiot and I'm right. And that's fucking totally wrong. So uh, this is the disclaimer I'm trying to put out here in front of this. I was considering that maybe i just take the podcast down because um, I didn't believe enough in what I was saying to defend it, but it's actually kind of probably a more interesting look at what happens to me in my brain when I become threatened. And um, (laughs) here's an example of what a person looks like when they – experience a severe amount of criticism and judgment and fear in a situation and then just project that out onto all the people around them. I caught myself uh, self a couple times while I was uh, talking about that story, um, saying that the women were competing with each other to be louder or whatever, and then I realized I, I did have the wherewithal at that time to realize, oh, fuck, that is a total projection of me feeling insecure that I wasn't doing it good and that I needed to be doing it better and fuck them for making noise because I can't. <laughs> and that, and honestly, that would have been a much more interesting podcast. And unfortunately, what I did instead was just um, paint a picture about these women that um, I imagined in my head. I imagined all the ways that they were doing things, why they were doing things. And it's not fair because they totally don't have a chance to defend themselves here. So um, that's my little disclaimer. Um There's still some other interesting stuff in the podcast, and there's a couple good points in there, I think, that uh, if I hadn't been so cynical and judgmental, you probably could have inferred your own ideas out of this. And that's what I should have done, is allowed you to make up your own mind about the situation rather than kind of peer pressuring you into having my opinion. So um, I haven't edited the podcast since. It is exactly the way it is when I released it, um, except for this little introduction beforehand. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. I will be trying to have um, Victoria back on the podcast to talk about this a little bit more. And I'll be discussing it also um, in other episodes because it's a pretty interesting look at, you know, what happens when triggering behaviors get on a fucking railroad track to destruction. (laughs) And I think it it merits me taking a little bit of time to illuminate that Yeah, I feel like an asshole, and I feel embarrassed, and um, I'm sorry to the people involved for um, projecting all of that shit onto them when it had nothing to do with them, and it wasn't their fault. All right, enjoy the conversation. Oh, not conversation. Enjoy the podcast, and I will talk to you again soon. We've all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff, but some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. I don't have a guest for you this week, but don't you fret, I have a wonderful juicy and delicious story to tell you about the time that I masturbated in the woods with a bunch of strange women. And I also am going to talk to you a little bit about the neurochemistry of connection and how fucking with that neurochemistry can impact behavior and social uh, norms, i.e., possibly masturbating in the woods with a bunch of strange women. Uh, I'm not a neuroscientist, in case you haven't figured that out already, and I'm not uh, educated in this field, but I do have fingers in the internet and the ability to read English. So I've done, I believe, I hope, enough uh, research to make this mostly factual and at least interesting and stimulating, and I've put all of the studies that I've looked at to put this podcast together on my website. So if you want any more information about all of the shit that I'm about to talk about, uh, all of the links to each one of those studies will be there. And also a cute little summary of everything that I'm talking about. When I do these solo podcasts, I basically write all the ideas out and then try and organize my thoughts into some kind of logical way so it makes sense. And this time, since I've gone through the effort of pretty much writing it all out, I just figured... Uh, you know, in case you can't listen to it, now you can read it. So all that information will be up on my post on my website. It's com, and uh, you can just click on the podcast link and you'll see the latest episode there. So um, before I begin talking about any of this today, I just want to make a quick disclaimer that everything that I'm about to say Uh, about the self-pleasure circle is not intended to disrespect Victoria or take away from any of the work that she's actually doing with her clients. Um, She came on the podcast a little while ago, and she's a fucking rad chick. She was a very good person to hang around with, very authentic, uh, good person, and I can tell that she really believes in what she's doing. She's passionate about what she's doing because she's had some pretty tangible results from people who have healed themselves from various sexual issues issues, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, shame, and healing from sexual trauma. So uh, it definitely, if it works for them and it works for other people, that's a fucking good thing. And I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm just telling you the story from my perspective and how I felt about the whole situation. And honestly, I am not surprised at all that this many people are being more and more drawn to sexual liberation or exploring this channel of connection through alternate ways or figuring out different ways of uh healing this unbelievable, aching, confusing disconnection and loneliness that happens to be a product of being a human being in the modern world. And I I imagine it's probably been oh the way human beings have felt for a long fucking time. A lot of this uh, sexual repression comes, especially women's sexual repression, comes from old church doctrines and religious ideas that are just fucking null and void at this point. And especially with a more globally growing community through the ability to connect to each other through the internet, it just seems more and more archaic to assume that you know any gender's sexual or anybody's sexuality in general should be shameful or repressed or or suppressed because this is where a lot of weird pathology comes from especially pedophilia rape that kind of thing comes from this uh, unusual insane insistence on being ashamed of what your body does and wants to do on the other hand though authentic sexual relations with another person connectivity and uh the proper bonding that should happen between two people who want to be sexually open with each other takes time and communication and connection and you know, it takes a bit of effort. So just, you know, having orgiastic sex with every guy, person you meet and, you know, just participating in whatever hedonistic fucking sexual rituals you get your hands on um, to the detriment or whatever of the people that love you is probably not the best way of going about this either, okay? So it's we're trying to find a nice balance here somewhere, I think, that's my opinion. Um, and a lot of this sexual deviation or aching lack of connectivity usually comes, unfortunately, from shit that's well outside of our control. So by calling somebody a slut or a man whore or whatever, we're not really getting to the core of the issue here. And we're not really dealing with why we have this horrible sense of aching, lonely disconnection. And I am going to talk to you today about why that happens. Adverse Events in our early life, um, in our mother's early life, in our mother's mother's early life, in our dad's life, in our experience with other people, whether we're developing in the womb or outside of the womb, can have major impacts on how we deal with the world at large. These little things, even something that happens to your mom's life when she was a little kid, can be passed down to you through your genetics that impact our brain's ability to feel connected to ourselves and others in a healthy and satisfying way. That kind of stuff usually leads to behavioral changes, mental health issues, depression, anxiety, etc. So I want to talk specifically today about what they call epigenetic factors in the early stages of our brain development and how in the same way that they're created, they can also be resolved due to this fucking incredible ability of our brains to continually rewire themselves. Um so just a quick introduction what epigenetics is it is the study of how the environment affects how the genes in our DNA express themselves so your mom and dad had a sweet hot sweaty juicy sex your dad was looking into your mom's eyes caressing her face maybe even fingering her bum hole at some point and then he ejaculated a big load of cum into your mom's vagina hole And that crawled up, found an egg, and the sperm creeped into the egg, planted itself in there, and the genetic code that was inside that sperm merged with the genetic code that was inside that egg, and it created you, the lovely little darling that is sitting on the other side of this microphone listening to me ramble shit about your mom getting cummed inside of. Now... What we thought originally was that that genetic code was the end-all, be-all of all things, and that decided everything that goes on in your life and who you're going to be and what you're going to be like. But what epigenetics has discovered is that that genetic code that was inside the sperm and the egg is more or less like a blueprint for potentiality. It's a general rough a map of what you could possibly be like and then there are a bunch of little switches inside that code that will be turned on or off depending on the environment around the developing egg so this is pretty interesting it means that if your mom was uh, baking you while you're inside her belly in a very stressful, a chronically stressful environment like extreme poverty or a war zone or potentially a domestic violence situation. So she is in a constant state of flight or fight, a constant state of anxiety. What happens inside your mom's body when that goes on? As anybody well knows, when you're scared, you get this rush of adrenaline. Um, What happens inside your body is that all the blood rushes out to your extremities, to your fingertips and to your toes and your legs and your muscles so that your body's ready to run away or fight or whatever it has to do. What happens when the blood rushes out to your extremities is that it stops going to your organs, to your internal organs, and all your secondary processes like uh, digestion stop working. So. Um, while the baby's developing inside the body, this means that there isn't much blood flow going to the internal organs, namely, i.e. your brain, and there's a lot more blood flow going out to the limbs. So the silver lining here is that you might grow uh, luscious, long, beautiful limbs, but it doesn't do you any good if you don't have the brain power to operate them. So they've done some studies on this with uh, rats and mice, and they found that Putting some the stress or putting the mother under some pretty chronic stress conditions had ma- had major behavioral impacts on the pups that were born after they were born. They uh, exhibited a lot more risk taking behavior. They were ca- less cautious and they had trouble interacting with other uh, pups around them. So that kind of makes sense, and it makes sense to me because the you know the environment is a toxic environment while the baby's being created. So it makes sense that they're going to come out a little bit fucking wrong. But what's really interesting to me is. And what I want to talk about today is what happens after the kid's born. So even if, let's say, your mother and your mother's mother and all of your mothers had uh, a very normal experience and normal child uh, pregnancy, uh, child pregnancy, not child pregnancy, normal pregnancy with you inside their belly, it wasn't stressful, you should have come out perfect like a normal kid. What they wanted to test then was what would happen if the kid was reared in a weird environment instead. So it's normal for rats and mice to spend, just as soon as they've given birth to their kids, to spend a lot of time individually licking and grooming the pups after they're born. So what these scientists did is, as soon as the pups were born, they took them away from their mother for intermittent periods of time. They tested all different kinds of periods of time, but didn't allow the mother to lick their pups. Well, this seriously fucked their kids up. Each one of the kids, again, exhibited much more risk-taking behavior. They had a harder time learning new things, and they also had issues recognizing other mice that they'd already met and had major major troubles creating a social bond. Obviously, if that makes sense, if they can't recognize mice that they've already met, then they don't have any rapport with them. They can't create normal social connections the way that they normally would. And what's especially sad is that those behavioral deficits were magnified if the mother also had a stressful situation. So if they subjected the mom to stress while she had the pups inside her belly and then also took the pups away from them, those behavioral deficits went skyrocketing. So what's crazy is that stress seems to be an exponentially compounding factor. So if your mom had a stressful environment while she was pregnant with you and then she got separated from you or you weren't able to spend much time with her because she had to go to work constantly because she lived in poverty and you were left alone all the time, you're going to get fucked up. Now... In humans, the inability to to properly respond to danger and evaluate your environment um, is indicative of all of our kind of major psychiatric disorders and ADHD, and also it kind of tends to lead to substance abuse issues. And it was pretty interesting. They ended up taking those same mice that were subjected to either maternal stress or separation after birth or a combination of both and put them into drug dependency studies and found out that, Uh, yes, unsurprisingly, most of them went to the alcohol a lot more than rats that were raised normally. Uh, They were doing it with ethanol. So, yeah, it makes fucking perfect sense to me. If you can't make a normal social connection with the people around you, your mom doesn't love you, your daddy doesn't love you, you are going to find some other thing to feel connected to and that thing or numb your life in some way or another. So, you know, think about that the next time you're silently judging a crackhead at a bus stop. Their mom just didn't lick them enough when they were a baby, and it's not their fault. We are all just looking to satiate this desire for connection. You know, some people do crack, and other people masturbate in the woods. Who's to say which one's right or wrong? <laughs> I think the answer to that definitely is the overall potential harm versus healing in either one of those circumstances. And we could probably agree that. You know, chronic abuse of crack is probably worse than masturbating in the woods with a bunch of women, but I think there are inherent harms and benefits in both. So, uh, you know, just hear me out. Uh, again, just quickly, this is a story from my perspective about my personal experience, um, and I do want it to be an entertaining portrayal of the situation, to paint you a good picture. So, But I am trying to be as honest as possible as I can, and unfortunately sometimes in being very honest, you can often come across like a cunt. And like I said before, I mean, no disrespect to the women involved in this process. I'm just, you know, trying to paint you a picture here. So when I got there, um, oh, fuck, I've told this story so many times now It's because it's been a week since I did it, and I've told this story so many times now, it's just starting to sound like a fucking cartoon of itself. But um, when I got there, it was just kind of this shed in the woods that was turned into kind of felt like a yoga studio. And then she had in the middle a little cauldron with a bunch of tarot cards around it and candles and some lube, of course, um, sitting around it. And there was a couple women already in there with their yoga mats and their towels. And when I got in there, uh, we were waiting for the other women to arrive, so we kind of just had to sit around and awkwardly look around at each other. And I was acutely aware that wherever I set my towel down was where I was likely going to be masturbating naked And so I was kind of like, fucking, who do I pick to sit next to and how close am I supposed to get? And the more the women piled in, the closer and closer everybody's towels got to each other. And we filled the shed right up. Like, there was enough of us in there that we were squeezed in pretty tight. Like, at one point I realized that if I turned my head and breathed hard enough that I'd be able to lift the hairs up on the arm of my neighbor. So, you know. How's that for, uh, as I'm sitting there thinking like trying to make eye contact with her and smile at her, realizing like I am going to be masturbating pretty much on top of you soon. Um, so once everyone was in there, uh, she asked uh, everybody to say one at a time what brought the what brought us there, what our what name was and what we were feeling. Um, I don't know. In environments like this, there's always, I just, it's fucking, it's interesting to me and also kind of disappointing and sad to me. Uh, what happens to human beings when we get into these like groups group think just this gross weird pretentious costuminess that goes over everybody You know, everybody feels like because the environment is this way they have to act this way there's sage curling up at our nostrils and there's a cauldron and there's tarot cards and everyone's just at peace and everyone's so open and receptive and it just seems so fucking put on and corny and I don't know that anyone's actively trying to do it. I appreciate that everyone's trying to create this, like, safe, comfortable space for them to do this weird, uncomfortable thing. And I think it is more or less, like, everybody's trying to deal with the insecurity of not really knowing what the fuck is about to happen. So everyone is just trying to play this character. But it just strikes me as immediately inauthentic and confusing and... uh You know, like, so each one of the women would speak in turn. There's varying levels of pretentiousness here. It's not like everybody was horrible, but there was just, you know, a couple people that just like take a deep breath and touch their chest or bring their, bring like prayer hands up to their lips and go, What's coming up for me is um, like an overwhelming sense of love and joy, but also some nervousness and some vulnerability. And everyone kind of like nods, like "thank you, thank you for sharing." <laughs> and then, you know, the next person goes, "like I am just I'm so honored to be here with my sisters. Um, such a beautiful, powerful group of women, and I am here because I just want to unleash my inner divine goddess." And like, I get it, I get it. It's just a language that I don't. I, I don't I don't get the feeling that that girl talks like that when she goes home at night. Do you know what I mean? I feel like it's a thing she's saying because it's the environment she's supposed to say it in. Like, I get the impression that she's the kind of girl that, like, drives an expensive car to her normal 9-to-5 admin job, wearing expensive clothes that were built in fucking sweatshops in Indonesia and then sold for f- way too much money at fancy clothes stores. And then, you yeah. know comes to a self-pleasure circle where she's like so spiritual and open and then on the weekend she goes and gets fucking hammered drunk, loses a shoe and then spews into her handbag. You know, like this is just kind of the picture that I'm getting about this. So it just seems disingenuous. It seems inauthentic. And the whole point of this thing is to like become more closer, connected to yourself and... So it strikes me as, I was just, and obviously I'm just sitting there being a judgmental cunt and it's not fair either. So I kept having to remind myself, like, relax, relax, relax. Maybe they are. Maybe they, maybe she does shop at, you know, like the Bohemian child store, child for slavery free store. I don't know. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of talk about sisterhood and the powerful women and, I don't know. It just seemed a little bit put on, and it seemed like people were trying to magnify this situation as something much greater than it actually is. And as I said just before, I was talking about sexual repression coming from deep ideological states of uh, you know, archaic religious belief systems that are designed to keep people in shame, afraid, um, disempowered, so that the power structures that be can kind of re- retain their power. I get all that. I totally see that, and I think there is some benefit And, well, there's absolutely benefit in illuminating that and talking about it, but I'm just not sure that, you know, jerking off in a circle with other women is really going to solve that problem. But, you know, that's my skepticism, and I'm not trying to be a cunt here. So I did tone it back, relax, and just try and be a part of this group. Um... So then then she tells us to get up and walk around and there wasn't much space to walk around and so we, we started walking around, we were moving around and then we ended up walking in two opposing circles. So there was one circle on the inside walking one direction and then another circle on the outside walking the opposite way and she had i just kind of you know started getting in this like rhythmic flow of just walking around and around in a circle <laughs> with the smoke coming up and there's candles and I started getting in this like kind of trance like state and i got a bit nervous like fuck somebody going to bring out a goat ask me to slit its throat and then so one of my sisters can drink the blood out of its skull <laughs> i'm not prepared to slaughter a goat for the sake of <laughs> this but it—it it, luckily, nobody brought out a goat, but she did, you know, ask us to howl like a wolf at one point, or um, and at one point she did say uh, to scream, to just let out a big orgasm scream, and she did it herself first, and it was so just, ah, 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 so, <laughs> so fucking extreme. And then <laughs> and I was like, no. I'm I'm just not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and all the other women, they all scream like, oh, this is this thing. And I'm just looking around going, what the, in the fuck? No wonder people sacrifice goats in the woods and drink out of baby skulls. Because there's this like unusual pressure to participate in some weird thing that feels, it, I don't know if it, if it's ritualistic. And I'm sitting there in my head going, am I missing the point? Like, am I that closed off? Am I? I I must be, I must be so sexually repressed that I can't even scream out loud, like something's wrong. Um, And she asked us to do it again, and of course I didn't do it again. Um, And it it just, you know, at one point we were supposed to touch the girl passing by us and look into her eyes, and it just, everybody was trying to be this, like, spiritual divine being, and I didn't feel any closer connected to anybody else or myself. In fact, I just felt like I am in a sea of, of bullshit right now and everyone else is going along with it. And I am torn between wanting to fit in, in this social group and wanting to go away back to where normal people do normal things. And that's okay. It's good to push yourself, you know, into your un- uncomfortable situations. Cause it's interesting to watch how your brain reacts. Um, then she had to sit down across from one of the other girls and stare into their other girl's eyes And again, it just felt, you know, a bit like everyone was trying to pretend like that wasn't hard for them. And it is fucking hard. If you've ever prolongedly stared at another human's eyes, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't – I don't know why. I don't know why it makes you feel uncomfortable. I think – I have a theory, and I think it's related to this little uh, hormone that we call oxytocin that I'm going to be talking about almost all day. Um, Oxytocin is – it's been called the love hormone. Um, before, but it's not necessarily a love hormone. It's more, uh, it's more nuanced than that. It's a thing that makes us feel bonded and connected to other living things around us, people, animals included. And when you stare into the eyes of another person, your brain releases oxytocin because we are, you know, these like, oh, who was it? I think it was Joe Rogan maybe said this once. We're like these pink monkeys, these milky pink monkeys that exist in a world where everything can kill us. Unless we stick together, then we kill everything else. The only reason that human beings have risen to the top of the food chain is not because of our physical prowess, because if we were up against a tiger, we'd all fucking die. But because we can band together, think, use language, we can coordinate our efforts and we can kill the tiger and then we can eat it as a family. So... When we look into the eyes of another human, we release oxytocin in the hopes that we will find a bond with that other person and then evolutionarily we can survive together. That's the idea. But at the same time, while we're looking into somebody else's eyes because we're animals also, we're also surveying for a threat. So I'm trying to check, like, is this girl a threat to me? Is she not a threat to me? Uh, I don't think she is a threat to me, but she's putting on this, like, really weird... Her head's cocked to the side. Her eyes are really open and glazed over. And she's looking at me, you know, the way I think she thinks a spiritual person's supposed to look at another person. But it looks like I'm looking at a costume. It felt like I was looking at like a musical Hallmark card. You know, if you go into Kmart and you open up a musical Hallmark card, that's what her face was staring at me. It wasn't an authentic connection to another human. And and, and Victoria was saying, you know, look into the eyes of your sister to feel connected to her. And if anything, I felt more disconnected from anybody. I just was like, I, I don't know what I'm looking at here. I'm just looking at a person who's trying to look like a person that I'm looking at. I don't know. But at one point, I did see an authentic reaction come across one of the girl's faces, and that authentic reaction was fear. She almost started crying. And then I realized that I, I the last, like all of my conditioning and staring at another woman in the eyes is when I'm preparing for a fight. I'm standing across from them with my hands taped up inside boxing gloves and I'm about to literally punch their fucking face in. And the whole point of the stare down really is to show the other animal across from you that there is no fear and you have every intention of punching through the back of their head. <laughs> and I said this in the live video after I got out of it because it it was a pretty intense at the moment. I just had to realize like, oh, fuck, I'm the enemy here. All of you guys are are you know playing this game and buying into it and I'm the unusual one. I am the enemy. No wonder. I feel so fucking weird because I I I didn't feel like I was a part of the group. <laughs> Transported me back to my childhood. <laughs> so anyway, I had to I just had to relax a little bit. Soften my gaze up and that was fine. Now it got a lot better. Um, then she asked us to share some stories about our se- about sex and masturbation and all that stuff, and that was really nice because at least I finally started talking to other people that I could relate to in a normal human way. A lot of that facade kind of dropped off when it was just one on one, because uh, you know it's mu- it's much nicer to talk o- authentically and honestly with another person who's not lying to you. And I think everybody did that a lot better. So then I, you know, I wasn't so disenfranchised. Disenfranchised—that's not the right word. I wasn't so put off by the whole situation once I started talking and realized that these women were, you know, just normal women. Um, Then she brought us back uh, to our original starting places, had us sit down and sit in that circle. And this was my favorite part of the night because she started talking about the actual anatomy of the woman's vagina and pleasure centers therein. So, ladies, get your notepads out. You actually probably might know this more. And actually, not even ladies. Men... This will help you if you're interested in having sexual relations with a young lady, uh, you know, approximately your age. It doesn't have to be a young lady. I don't know why I said young lady. Just old lady. Have sexual relations with old people, too, as much as you can, okay, because old people, uh, as you're about to find out, their poor neurochemistry is failing to produce the chemicals that make them feel happy in the world, and that's usually what makes them kind of bitter and scary and hard to deal with. But if you give them an orgasm every once in a while, it might turn their life around. In fact, neurochemically, it definitely will turn their life around. But that's another story. I digress. Um, If you are interested in having more uh, connected and pleasurable sex with a lady who's got a vagina, then listen up. Turns out that a lady's vagina, clit, in fact, has legs. Your clitoris is not just the little thing that's at the top of the vagina hole. Um, it actually, if you, so if we are together now looking at a vagina in front of you, if the clit's up there at the top and the labia go down on either side of it and then there's a vagina hole down at the bottom and then there's there is like a cute bum hole that happens just underneath the vagina hole, if you guys know where that is. It's just lower than that part. Um, So if you were at the clit part and on either side of it, on the inside of the labia, where the red bit is, there is actually erectile tissue all the way down there. And so if you gently stimulate the legs of your clit inside that tissue, that tissue over time will become hard, like almost as hard as like an erect penis. I'm not saying that you're going to like grow a dick out of your vagina, but what happens is that you just end up creating this, like, incredible sensitive space uh, that's very nice and soft to touch and not not soft, hard to touch, um, that feels good. So um, she said that it can take a few weeks or a few months of doing this over time because it needs to develop the neurons inside the uh, vagina. But in so doing, when you do that, uh, something interesting happens to your G-spot which is up and around the corner. So if we're still looking at this vagina again, and if you take your hand palm up and put your first finger into the vagina hole and then curl your finger back towards your palm, up and around that corner is where your G spot is. And this thing, if you apply a little bit of pressure or rub this G spot, especially while you're doing other stimulation, it feels like crazy good and it makes your whole body tingle it's a nice thing so this is the elusive and wonderful g-spot and that's why it's kind of elusive is because a normal penis going inside and out of a vagina doesn't really feel it doesn't really touch that g-spot very often unless you get it on a right angle so um what she was saying is that when you get that erectile tissue to start functioning and it gets hard it actually pushes your g-spot out and around that corner so that when you're having sex with like a penis or a cucumber or whatever that g-spot rubs on the thing that's going up and down is the inside of your vagina so then it feels like crazy good to have sex with people so there you go i didn't know that maybe you guys already did know that maybe i'm just like in the dark ages still with sex because i've you know sexually repressed my whole life <laughs> because of the patriarchy no i'm just kidding um so That is why, uh, so that was very exciting and interesting news to me, and I was like, this is awesome. Now I'm definitely going to try and do some more self-pleasure on my own, figure that out. Um, Then she starts to explain to us uh, the importance of using sound breath and movement in your self-pleasure work. So this isn't just about having an orgasm. This is about trying to connect to your emotional body Using your physical body, so bringing your attention into the inside of your physical body, you are uh, aiming to feel where emotions are trapped in your physical body and then letting them out through some variation or some fucking way of releasing them and in her opinion, that is to scream if you're angry or shake if you're sad or scared or cry if you're sad, or you know beat your fists on the ground if you're angry. Really, the bigger the expression, the better. Let it all out. If an emotion feels like it's trapped in some part of your body, then tap that part of your body and let the expression come flooding out of you. Um, So I was a little bit confused. I didn't really understand what she meant by that. Like I was like, every time you masturbate, this is what you're supposed to do or you're supposed to do this while you're having sex with somebody. I wasn't exactly sure what she meant, but uh, my answer came very quickly because then she said, now I'm going to show you what my self-pleasure practice looks like which means that a grown woman in this room of us masturbated for approximately 20 to 30 minutes in front of a bunch of observing women we were we all still had our clothes on and she was now in the center of the circle showing us how she masturbated and it wasn't just masturbating i keep simplifying it to that probably because uh, i think it's funny but it's this was way bigger than that so she had her oil near her, and she rubs her whole body with oil and is just doing every emotional expression that a human can do. It looked more like an interpretive dance than somebody masturbating it wasn't wasn 't like erotic at all it wasn't turned on by it it was like watching yeah it was like watching performance art she's rolling on the ground and arching her back and it was really beautiful watching the way her body moved it was the same as watching you know like what a ballet dancer looks like or what a stripper looks like even actually but what me watching strippers is more erotic like it turns me on more than watching this I wasn't t- physically turned on by this at all um it was more just this like weird um yeah just a beautiful dance And she's arching her back and slamming her fists into the ground and screaming and crying and shaking and moaning and howling and all kinds, everything. And this goes on for about half an hour. She's got a big, loud music going on, so she's kind of dancing along with this music, really intense. And then the music died down, and she sat up, and she was naked, and then she kind of just scooches back to her spot in the circle and looks around at all of us and goes, Does anyone have any questions? (laughs) I was like, oh, well, well, fuck. Yeah, where do I even begin? <laughs> yeah, I got a few questions. <laughs> like I I couldn't imagine. I was like, is that what it's like to have sex with her? Or is that just her self-pleasure thing? Or is that what she's like every time she masturbates? Or I don't know, man. Oh, there was a lot of questions going on, but I didn't ask any of them. Um, and then she said, all right, well, everyone, you have a bathroom break if you want to, and then come back and it's your turn to do your own self-pleasure. So, um, you know, we got ourselves comfortable. I, uh, relieved myself of my dress and I, my bra. So I was just sitting there naked, mostly, but just with underwear on and, um, got the oil in my hands. It seemed a bit fucking creepy and, uh, over-enthusiastic to go just straight into touching myself. So I rubbed my legs and my feet kind of the same way that you would after you get out of the shower and you just want to put some moisturizer on your body. So I did that and, um, I wasn't ashamed at all of being naked at this point. Like I really just didn't care. Um, I, I did, I think it's mostly because I didn't have anyone to impress. And this is where I took a little bit of umbrage with the whole situation is that if this is meant to be the alleviation of shame, it does create an environment where you don't feel any shame. Like I didn't feel any shame at all, but I don't think that cured my shame of being with a man. Do you know what I mean? Like if you remove the thing that makes you feel ashamed, yeah, there's going to be no shame. Sure. It makes sense. Because I think I had no one to impress, so I didn't really care what I look like. But I do often feel a lot more shame when there's somebody there that I want to impress or I want to like me or whatever, and I need to show them my best side. I don't know. I haven't had sex with a man since my experience of this, so I don't actually know how it's impacted me yet. So I don't know. And I probably am not going to report that back to you either. Just, you know. So anyway, I uh, laid down and then um, she put on the music and that was nice because it was loud. It was a good sound system. So it created a good ambient environment. And then I was just kind of rubbing my body and I thought, fuck, and I've got a half an hour to lay here and do this. I can't just keep rubbing lotion into my legs. So um, I figured it would be a good time for me to do one of my favorite types of meditation, which is a... Kind of meditation that gets you on the inside of your body. Um, And I imagine this is kind of what she meant by this, but uh, if nobody, if you guys ever struggle with um, anxiety or or feeling lost or disconnected or confused or stressed, um, or you struggle sleeping at night, this is a really great meditation that I love doing. Uh, I'll walk you through it now. So all you have to do is lay down or sit down in a comfortable place, Um, obviously, probably alone and not surrounded by a million screaming strangers who are embodying every emotion that a human being is capable of in a room next to you in the woods. Um, Ideally, try and be by yourself. You don't have to be naked at all. This is a practice you can do while you're in your car. Instead of looking at your phone while you're waiting for someone, you can do this while you're just sitting there waiting for someone. So you close your eyes and take good three to five really good deep breaths just to kind of relax your mind and get inside your body. And then focus on what the inside of your toes feel like, the inside of your feet, and then the inside of your ankles, inside of your calves, your shins, and just slowly work all the way up your body, feeling what the inside of your body feels like. And if it helps, you can kind of visualize like a warm glow, like a warm light or something that um, spreads out over each part of the body and then relaxes that part of the body from the inside out. So you're working your way up to your knees, to your thighs, working from your fingertips all the way in, and to your whole body is sort of filled with this nice, like, soft, warm, relaxing glow. Um, So it's a nice thing, and I felt genuinely very connected to myself and very at home with myself, which is nice. So um, I kind of built this glow up inside myself. It felt nice. And then I was kind of like, well. You know, I came here with a purpose and a job to do, and I'm not giving up. So um while I was doing this, it was so distracting to stay inside my body because there were just women all around me screaming and grunting and groaning and wailing and slamming their fists into the ground or jumping up and down or hitting different parts of their body. It was so fucking intense. And I... I don't know, man. I I feel like Victoria has been practicing this for as long as she has, many years, trying to get to that level of connection with her body and perhaps her emotional states or whatever. And that like a woman that has never done this before just sits down and immediately feels these like emotions arising in her body and expresses them like that. It just seems so fucking put on. I don't know. I didn't authentically feel the need to scream or cry or beat my fists or anything. And I don't know that – I i don't think that I'm a person that has trouble expressing myself at all. I mean, obviously, this is what I do. I, I don't think there is a single topic on the fucking face of the earth that I could – I would have trouble talking about. But – I just didn't feel the authentic need whatsoever to scream and cry and beat my fists or any of it. And I felt that feeling. I felt that feeling of sadness. It didn't make me feel like I needed to wail out loud or scream. I don't know. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the difference was. And I can't say, I cannot speak to the what these girls were actually feeling, but it was so fucking distracting. There was so much going on. And I kept I kept just having to remind myself, like, like no, I'm, I'm focused here. And this is now a challenge for me in focus and discipline to make myself have an orgasm despite the chaos and the cacophony of fucking voices going on around me. So, everybody, you'll be very proud to know that I did successfully make it happen somehow. I just focused. I got I got it done. And once I finally had an orgasm, I just laid there and laughed. I just f- laid there because all of it, it was just silly and I, I, all of it was silly. My own judgment was silly. The w- environment I was in was silly. Everything about what I did was just so fucking ridiculous at that moment that I just laid there and laughed and laughed. And then the music stopped, and um, everybody kind of came back. We're all there naked in the room together. And Victoria came around with a bottle of disinfectant spray. <laughs> and sprayed our hands i was just kind of like naked sitting there like a little pauper and she sprayed my hands like a king giving me some of my crumbs for the day <laughs> so silly we got up we held hands in a circle a little bit slippery holding hands in a circle after that and then got dressed and went home and then i went straight around the corner to a gas station and recorded a live facebook video because i'm a fucking psychopath and it's funny everybody who said that they've watched that video now saw the video before and saw the video after and they said that they could definitely tell that i looked refreshed (laughs) like i had definitely just had an orgasm so that was gross but i don't know there you go what did i learn i don't know connection is a very incredibly powerful thing and the release of oxytocin throughout the evening is definitely healing. It's, um, it releases dopamine. It makes us feel whole. It makes us feel connected. So I think that it makes a lot of sense. I'm recognizing that you're not alone and having shame about your body or sex or feeling like you can trust the girls that are around you, feeling like you belong, speaking honestly and openly with somebody else when they're listening. They're all really good things that help you release oxytocin, which is an absolute definite scientifically proven chemical response that improves the overall well-being of your life. It helps you learn new things. So there's definitely some major benefit in doing that. Especially if you've experienced some sexual trauma or have fear around doing that with somebody else, then great. This might be a good first step to help you like kind of, I guess, alleviate some of that shame. But as I just alluded to before, if you eliminate the threat completely, then are you dealing with the threat or are you avoiding it? I'm not sure. I don't really know. Um you know, and magnifying your emotional state to like whip yourself up into a frenzy as an act of self-expression, I think is less healing and possibly more detrimental to the goal of being authentically connected to yourself. Like it it reminds me of like, you know, these women just kind of screaming and frenzied wailing and stuff on the floor. Remind me of like, a little kid that falls over and he's fine until you like rush over and ask if he's okay. And then he starts crying. He's crying because he's touched that and relieved, you know, that someone cares about him and, um, but it's not because he's actually hurt. And the problem is that like when we start crying like that or having this like reaction, we start up making up stories for why we're crying and why we're doing what we're doing. It's a story that we make up in our mind to make you feel something Because we just don't know why we feel so lost and confused and disconnected. Having some story to cling to is easier than realizing that it's just fucking lonely to be a human. Right? We need to have something to blame. And I just am having a hard time believing that everyone in that room authentically experienced and expressed that crazy array of emotions in the space of 20 minutes. I felt like it was a lot more a cry to be seen, to be, you know, gain the respect of Victoria or, uh, you know, like show the other women that you're capable of doing this thing or to feel something outside the normal experience of life. But it wasn't necessarily a connection to your authentic self. I mean, would any of them actually do that at home alone? Doing this in a group with other people kind of reminded me of the reason why, People over time eventually became Nazis or sacrificed animals at an altar. It does feel good to be a part of a group and allow yourself to do something weird that you can't do at home. Because, you know, the group is telling you that it's cool and it's all right and you, you're good. I'm not at all comparing a self-pleasure circle to a fucking, you know, genocidal movement. I'm just saying that there is weird things that happen when people get in a group and start rolling with the momentum without thinking about what they're doing. Trying to match that level of intensity of someone who's been practicing this for a long time is a bit extreme. And, but I'm not saying that they didn't actually feel like that they were you know, really feeling something. I felt like it was in the same way that an actor, you know, like Leonardo DiCaprio when he's in Shutter Island, definitely feels insane. He has to. In order to be convincing as an actor, he has to really embody that thing but is he healing his inner psychopath? Is he feeling into his emotional body and exercising a demon in there? I don't know. Maybe if he was masturbating while he was acting, he would. I don't know. I do know, however, that if you're not inside your body when you're having sex with somebody else, And your brain is occupied with how you look or how you feel or if it's okay and if it's good, if it's bad, if you're performing well or whatever, is not going to be releasing oxytocin into your body and is not going to give you that overall feeling of connected bondedness that we should feel when we have sex with somebody else. In fact, it's going to make you feel lonelier, more ashamed, and more isolated after it's over. So if doing a self-pleasure circle with other women helps you feel more connected to yourself and inside your body, then it's totally valuable. If you want it to cure your desperate feelings of loneliness and hopelessness, then, yeah, I think it can definitely help you by giving you a good injection of oxytocin. And um, it's better than buying it in a nasal spray on the internet because that's where you can buy oxytocin right now. But you know, if you go to a self-pleasure circle because you think you're empowering women to rise up against the patriarchy... I don't know, I had a bit of a problem with this. I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not going to call myself a feminist, but I absolutely respect and admire strong women who have worked really hard during the course of our history to level the playing field. Um, a lot of women's sexual repression, like I talked about, comes from these weird religious ideals, and it's a good idea to shake up that bullshit. But you're not saving the sisterhood one orgasm at a time. It's definitely a nice symbolic step in the alleviation of sexual shame, but being a contributing member of your community and opening yourself up to genuine human connection, not these falsified stories, whether they're scary or whether they're safe, is the only way to enact real social change, sorry, change. Creating safe spaces for us to tell ourselves stories about our pain and ina- enable our pain and illuminate our pain against the world out there, it doesn't help. Being in the world, sharing ideas with people who don't necessarily agree with you and being open to the discussion that you can have with those people and talking authentically from an educated, informed place, that is is how you make solutions. That's how you make changes. That's what changes the world. So maybe the, this practice is the first step to doing that. But if it's a way for you to pretend that something that you, like, you know, if it's a way for you to pretend to be a somebody that you think you should be, but you don't have the dedication or, I don't know, discipline to be that person in real life, then fucking stop it. If you're trying to vilify some external force like the patriarchy or society or whatever for your own issues, then stop it. It's not going to help. I listened to a great podcast recently. It's called The Blind Boy Podcast. It's a guy from Ireland. And his guest, uh, as he put it, was the Martin Luther King of Irish civil rights. Her name is Bernadette Devlin McClaskey. And she is a fucking incredible woman. Who She was on the ground working to secure Irish civil rights uh, during the troubles in Ireland in the 60s when all of the major chaos was going on in the 60s up into the 90s. she was elected to parliament at the age of 21, and um, I don't know. That, in my opinion, is what a real feminist looks like. So if you want to heal yourself and the sisterhood, you know, jerk off in a circle, if you will, but maybe also consider doing some work with a local organization that's actively doing something directly to improve the lives of marginalized people in your area. Because not only are you going to make a change to somebody else's life, you're actually excitingly and wonderfully going to make a major change inside your own life through changing the physical structure of your brain. So now that I'm done talking about, you know, lubricating our bodies inside the woods to alleviate demons of shame, I'm going to talk about the neuroscience of connectivity just a little bit more. So as I mentioned before, when I was talking uh, about the clitoris and about how our clits have legs, you can develop nerve sensitivity in that area by giving focused uh, sensory attention to that area. This is called neurogenesis, and this is creating nerve fibers inside your body. Your brain, just like your cute little vagina, is also capable of completely re- rewiring its own neural connections, depending on how you use it. This is what they call neuroplasticity. And it basically means that your brain is constantly changing itself depending on whatever stimulation is coming in at it. One of the basic foundations of neuroplasticity is if you don't use it, you lose it. So... There's a little thing, a little protein inside your body called nerve growth factor, or NGF, which is the uh, sort of the key factor in creating new nerve connections inside your body. When you're a baby and up to the age of about seven, your body is just completely flooded with NGF. You are constantly producing NGF, which allows you to create these neural connections and constantly refine your brain as you learn new motor skills. You learn how to talk, walk, um, react to other people, what learn social cues, all of that stuff. This is why things are a lot easier to learn when you're a little kid and this is why we uh, often say you can't teach an old dog new tricks because you, as you get older, that the level of that protein inside your body drops right off. You start losing NGF and so it becomes harder for you to create more neural connections, more fluid neural connections. So I don't. there are many reasons for that, obviously. I think it's evolutionary. Um, we stop over time. We kind of stop experimenting. We stop touching people as much. We stop. We have less trust around people around us because we have more reasons to mistrust people. We've been hurt more. There's also more stress in our lives, so there's less time to explore new things. We've just got to kind of get through the day-to-day. But one thing that's really interesting is that they found when you fall in love with somebody, your NGF levels boost again. They go soaring through the roof again. And that makes perfect sense to me because when you uh, feel connected safe and in love you've got more time and space to think about things but when you feel stressed and scared and lonely you don't need to learn how to do new things you just need to capitalize on what you know and get shit done until you can get to a place of comfort where you can start to you know maybe think outside the box a little bit so when we're in love, we're open, we're, recepting, uh, we're, sorry, we're receptive. One of the things, too, is that we have to make space for this other person in our life. So they might have different perceptions about the world or the way the world works. And if we're really rigid in our own belief systems, we're not going to be able to adapt to that person and help change them. So when we feel these feelings of connectedness and openness, NGF, oh, sorry, first oxytocin floods through our body, and that boosts NGF. And then we go, okay... I want to bond to you, so I'm going to be a little bit more open to some of the wacky ideas that you've got. And then that way we kind of start to mold to each other a little bit more so that we can create more space, more opportunity for bonding and develop a life together. So um, if you remember back to the start of this very juicy podcast, um, I was talking about my studies that where they separated the mother from the litter and then studied the behavioral effects of that separation on the pups. Now, these scientists were also curious about what actually was going on inside their brain. So they noticed that there was definitely a significant change what happens when I took these pups away from their mother and they were definitely behaving differently. And it makes sense. It's what we assume would happen. But they wanted to know what is physically actually going on inside the brain. What they found was fucking incredible. In the mice that were separated from their mothers, they had significantly less neurons in the area of the brain, the uh, the hippocampus, which is one of the main key centers for memory, uh, for creating memory and memory retentions. And they had a lot less receptors for oxytocin. So if they had less receptors for oxytocin, it meant that they had less oxytocin itself flooding through their body. So just think about that for a second. That's fucking crazy. Just by removing a pup away from their mother right after they were born, it changed the physical structure of the brain of the mouse. It gave the, bra- the mouse brain damage. That's fucking nuts. So like, we're all aware that if we get hit really hard in the head, uh, like if we have a car crash, we're gonna go to sleep and possibly never wake up because the br- brain is this really incredibly delicate network of fibers that all have to really work well together in order for our brain to operate. So simply being isolated from your mother after birth will change the physical formation of your brain regardless of what your DNA says. So maybe your DNA says that you are going to be a perfectly normal, happy, lovely, wonderful person and then you don't have your parents when you're a kid. You're going to get fucked up and your brain physically is going to reflect the behavioral changes that you're showing. So what they studied and and why they believe this happens is that basically when the mother licks the pups of the baby, their bodies, both of them, the mother and the pups, get flooded with this hormone oxytocin. It goes flying all through their whole body and their NGF is sitting there inside the body going, oh shit, we've got a whole bunch of this chemical flying around inside the body and we've got nowhere to put it so we need to create receptors to catch this oxytocin and make use of it. So that's why the brain starts developing neurons. Once you get flooded with a chemical, then the brain goes, oh shit, I need to do something with these chemicals. So I'm going to create, I'm going to create a big network for these chemicals to land inside of. If that baby doesn't get flooded with that oxytocin, then the brain never thinks that it needs to create the receptors for it. So it just doesn't make them. It simply does not make them. Now the social implications of this are pretty fucking crazy. Mouses with low oxytocin levels can't recognize social cues and they treat everyone like a stranger, even if they've, bonded with them in the past. After a 24-hour separation, they can't tell that they've ever met that mouse before. They've actually found also that uh, boosting oxytocin in patients with autism has improved their social cues, recognizing social cues, and also um, improved their memory. And oddly and interestingly, as a cute little side note, they, uh, oxytocin actually helps promote wound healing and general overall uh, illness recovery so if you're fighting an infection or you've got like a really disgusting contagious disease um you know spend some time hugging people touching their face and spending a lot of time around them and you'll get better faster everybody else will of course get disgustingly sick themselves but it doesn't matter because you feel better um So how do we deal with this? How do we fix this problem? If we've got damaged brains because of our parents or the fucking government or capitalism or the church or the patriarchy or whatever we want to blame it on, um, what do we do? The key to this is neuroplasticity. If our brains can be changed by the environment and some fucking shitty situation that's happened to us in the past, we can also change it by putting positive situations into our brain and rewriting those broken neural pathways. So you can change it back. It's no problem. You're not a victim to the unavoidable fragility of your sweet little brain. Maybe your mom is an asshole, and you probably should have been licked a lot more when you were a kid, but it's not her fault, and you know it. She's just as fucked up as you are, and so is her grandma, and so is her mom, and so is everyone else. Even the CEO of Bayer Pharmaceuticals wasn't licked enough as a kid, but I still think he's a cunt. So you can easily rebuild those neurons by actively flooding your body with oxytocin through continual positive social interactions and genuine connection to the community around you. Helping someone do a shitty job, talking to your friends face-to-face, not on your phone, hugging someone you love, telling people that you care about them, listening when someone wants to talk to you, spending time with your dog, and, you know, even being present inside your body when you have mad tantric sex with that wild man you met at the spanking workshop. As long as you like each other, it will definitely get you there. Love yourself, and by loving other people in an authentic and reciprocal way, you're going to be just fine. Um, so for any more information on any of this, to this, uh, shit, just like I was saying at the start of the podcast, I've got every study listed there on my website and I've also put up all the notes and the notes that I wrote for myself about this and how to talk about this. So, uh, it's not an official transcript. I tried to more or less, it's pretty much really what it is, is what I should have said in an organized and logical way. And then I just go off tangent and say whatever I want when I record this thing, but you know, Thank you for listening as always. I love that I get to do this. I fucking love it. And I love hearing the feedback and hearing people that are getting something out of it. It's, I don't know, it's fucking mental. It's crazy to me. And it's really nice because obviously we're all socially weird and fucked up because we didn't get licked when we were babies and it's hard to talk to each other in the normal social human environment. So I'm happy that people are getting something out of it and, you know you have passed our own neuroticism, get a little bit closer to each other. That's the whole point of this podcast. So I'm happy that I can do that. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, share it around, like it on the internet, do what you do, subscribe to it on the internet, all of those things. And if you really like it or have money to spare it and you want to help support me and all the anxiety I put into this each week, um, go to Patreon uh, for the cost of uh, buying me a coffee a month. You can help support the podcast and it's going to help Get me ready to have a live podcast that we're going to be doing with Benny Johnston sometime next year on the Gold Coast, which I'm fucking so excited for. All right. Uh, Hope you guys have a great week. Thank you for listening. As always, talk to you guys.